Welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Vintage and Stuff with Drew Heifetz. Today I have Jessica Omen on the show. She is the owner, co-owner with Johan. Is he your husband? Yeah. All right. So the dynamic duo, Jess and Johan, they own Storage Warrior. And the reason I have you on is because what you do is fascinating. <laughs> you guys are picking... What do you call what you do? Junk sellers <laughs> is a common term. <laughs> We're resellers of things that would otherwise end up in the landfill. So Nice. Yeah. I love that. So your business is called Storage Warrior, which That's is right. very descriptive of what you guys do. You raid storage lockers, but among other things, to find your goods, right? Exactly. That's how we got started back in oh, 2012. Wow. Yeah. So was the store was the storage wars out at that point? Yeah, and that's why we got started actually, because we thought the show was so entertaining, and we wondered if they did auctions in our area, and we looked online and found one about a week later, and we went down there to check it out. We ended up buying the last unit of the day. It was a long day with a poor auctioneer who was slow, and um, and we ended up getting the last unit for about two hundred dollars, and uh, it, we made a mess of it. Of it, but we were hooked. <laughs> so wow, that's awesome. So, were you guys even at all in the reselling business at that point? Not at all. Not at all. No, that's so crazy. So, what were you guys doing before this point? I was a business consultant. Johan was tree planting. Oh yeah, he's told me yeah. about that. That's so wild. So, how was that first unit? I mean, actually, it was pretty good. There was uh, there was a lot of junk in it, but we found a great treasure, which was a big set of Royal Albert Old Country Rose. If you know anything about English bone china, it turns out it's a highly collectible pattern, and wow. a lot of people a lot of people want it. We had about forty pieces or something, and uh, yeah, we've sold that for seven or eight hundred bucks, and we were like, I think there might be something to this. That's so cool. Yeah. Was there uh, a lot of junk in the unit? There's a lot of junk in the unit. There's a lot of junk in every unit. So, like, what was it like picking that first unit? Where you, you guys probably had no clue what anything was. You're just like search, searching through stuff, hoping, searching on eBay and seeing what was worth money. I mean, it's not surprising that most people have never thought about what kinds of things you would typically find in an abandoned storage unit. Yeah. Um. So obviously there was the usual clothing and household items and kitchen stuff, which is pretty typical of what people would store. But yeah, I mean, we didn't know what we were finding. We didn't know a lot about brands and what was collectible. Um, we just thought, well, if this looks like it's in good condition and somebody might buy it, maybe we can sell it. And so... We ended up holding on to lots of stuff that we wouldn't today because we didn't really know what would sell and what wouldn't. Yeah, of course. Um, and we didn't know how to sort. I remember p bringing all the boxes home in our car and a friend's car and spreading them out all over the living room. And it was, oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was so messy and dirty. <laughs> um, that is so crazy. So the actual auction part of it, like, is it like the show? It's a lot like the show, and um, you know there are certainly aspects to the show that are scripted. We we know this, yeah. But um, when it comes to the types of things you find in the unit and the dynamics between the people who attend the auctions, that's actually pretty realistic. Like yeah. when there used to be more live auctions, um, you'd get this banter going between the different people who were bidding, and you'd make side deals, and you'd do all this stuff, and it was and something people that, were like, "Let's go in on this together." Or... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff would happen all the time. So. That part was pretty realistic. I always wanted to do it. I've never gotten up and actually gone and checked it out. Do they still do the live auctions or is it kind of over now? 
it's kind of over. Most of them are online, so it's a little bit harder because you don't get, um, you can't smell the unit, which matters <laughs> more than you would think. Really? Yeah. Um, and you don't usually get good photographs, so you're, you're taking definitely a higher risk. So what, how can the smell determine the worth of a locker? You don't want to buy anything that smells like a cat was in there. <laughs> wow, that's so crazy. But you're like, you're, you know, you, you if there's a lot of cigarette odor, that's going to affect things, right? Because it's True. really hard to get that yeah. out of stuff. I know you see that on the eBay listings, like yeah. coming from a non-smoker house. I had a, we have a storage locker in California that we keep all our stuff in because we go to the Rose Bowl and we sell clothes down there. So we like, we'll send new stuff, we'll put it in the storage locker and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do the show and put it back. But sometimes people will be there and there was this hoarder lady who had a locker beside mine and she was super... I mean, she seemed super nice at first, and she was cleaning out her locker. She's pretty old. She's, like, probably in her 80s, I would say. And I was kind of helping her and, like, chatting to her, and she ended up giving me a bunch of clothes, and she had some cool stuff in there. But she had units on units at this place. And then, so this first interaction was super nice. She was super chill. She gave me some clothes. And then the second interaction was, like, terrible, and she kind of flipped on me about asking her about some product in the in the unit. And I think, like, she just, you know... The hoarding thing is a disease. It's crazy. Totally. And, like, she snapped on me. It was, like, fine the one day. The next day I saw her, like, literally two days later, and she just snapped on me about asking about some product. And then I saw her, like, recently, a month ago, and she was in another locker sorting it out with, like, a social oh. worker. And they're like, we got to clean this lady's stuff out. She just has units and units. And So, yeah, there's just so much stuff all over the place. People just stash it away. You know, the, that's... An interesting part of what we do, we almost have to play um, a bit psychologist, a bit social worker with some people. I mean, we, we work with clients to help them downsize and sell their stuff. And, and some people attach a lot of emotion to the things they own, even if they haven't seen them in decades. Yeah. And so you, you do have to play a little bit of that where, you know, you kind of have to help lift people out of this idea that they need to hold on to these physical things even though they're very much aware like rationally that they need to sell them that's why they contact us yeah it or, can be hard like for them to let go the social workers will contact you too right do you guys ever have that no we haven't we haven't had that yet but okay. it's coming probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a it's it's an interesting place to be because they've contacted me a few times because when you search vintage clothing in vancouver would pop up as because we buy, right? So I've had multiple social workers contact me and invite me to houses that they're, that they're cleaning out, mm. which is cool. Um, but man, I've seen some insane stuff. This We got invited to a house in Kits up, actually it's Point Grey. So this was like probably like a $15 million mansion, but she's she was a 90-year-old woman. She hadn't, she had siblings, but no, never had a husband or kids. And she was left this house from her parents. So... She had to get moved out of the house into a home. The, she never had fixed the roof. There was leaks in the house. It was mildewy and moldy. They had already thrown out two full dumpsters worth of product when I got there, which guaranteed there would have been insane stuff in. Because, you know, these, like, 1-800-GUT-JUNK guys will just throw anything out. Or I probably had crazy old jeans. It hurts. And it hurts. <laughs> and I, it was so sad to see that. But she, she got um, put into a home, and I guess they sold off the house or something. But... It is interesting, the psychology of these people. And compassion matters a lot in this business, like a lot more than, than you would think. 
It's true. And I think sometimes, I mean, what what has worked really, really well for us and I think helps a lot of people feel better about letting go is the idea that we, we're we taking the items and, yeah, we're profiting from it, we're making money, but that's, the, like, the end game is we're putting that into the hands of another person who's going to appreciate it, collect it, enjoy it, and keep it from being thrown away. And I think that really helps a lot of people shift their mindset where it's like, okay, cool, this is still going to be enjoyed and appreciated by somebody else. And yeah. that's really what we're in the business of doing. And I think it's an energy flow. When people continually just hoard things into their life, it blocks the energy flow in their own life. And you have to let things, you have to let the energy go in order to receive new energy. It bogs people down to have all that stuff. And I, yeah. they, don't under, they don't get it because they're in it too deep. But once they let it go, they can like have more new, better things come into their life. It was funny when we got into doing storage units and we were buying a lot of them. Um, we amassed so many things so quickly that uh, we stopped buying things for ourselves. <laughs> we just became kind of minimalist. We were like, nope, don't need a new shirt. Nope, don't need a new receiver. Nope, don't need a new coffee table. Who needs all that stuff? Yeah. And then I started taking things out of my house and getting rid of them and decluttering my own home because all of a sudden the, the, it kind of it kind of hits you like wow it's amazing how much people energy people hold in their things and i all of a sudden wanted that out of my home yeah <laughs> and you kind of then now you're like i'll just probably find that one day so i don't need to go and buy that thing that i could just find on the trail and it's kind of more fun to find something on the trail if you're like i go out and spend 200 bucks on this thing that i kind of want or just wait and then get it for 10 bucks one day it's like much better feeling. I the find. thrill of the hunt. The thrill of the hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your best ever storage locker that you guys have found. Okay, so the best one ever, about, I think it was two and a half years ago, and we actually split it with another buddy who does the same thing. Um, this unit belonged to... Well, Sorry, let me touch on that. So how does that, you've actually split a locker yeah. with a friend. Yeah. Isn't it like too competitive to be like splitting things? Or is it, is it because it was super expensive in the beginning? Well, actually, this one was because we were out of town and we needed someone else to win the auction for us. Oh, wow. Well, that makes total sense. Okay. <laughs> so that was a good split. I don't know. I mean, like, you, you get... The, the thing is, is there are lots of people who do kind of what we do, but we're all good at selling different things. And sometimes when you split a unit, it actually works out really well because somebody who, you know, for example, we don't we don't want to do like small machinery and and um, things like power washers and stuff like that. But we know a guy who's so good at fixing them up and yeah. refurbishing them and selling them. And that's the kind of thing that will sell better in a retail scenario, someone's shop somewhere. Exactly. So yeah. we'll split units and just kind of take what we're best at selling. But this one was like, this unit was, I mean, we all wanted everything because it was so good. I mean, we it had so much silver in it, like silver ingots and silver coins. Um, we put it all on a scale once we had pulled it all out of the unit, and I think it weighed 120 pounds. Wow. It was crazy. And so then what's the was, value of 120 pounds of silver? In scrap, I mean, it goes between like 30 cents and 45 cents a gram. So I don't know. Do the math. There's a lot. <laughs> And that was just the silver, and I mean, it was full of old Wedgwood collectibles and what's that? Uh, you know, like Wedgwood, like that English um, Jasperware stuff that's blue with the Greek scenes on it. And people think it's super cheesy now, but the big pieces are really collectible and highly valuable. Still, had a bunch of that. There was some gold in there. I mean, we sold that was two and a half years ago, and I think we sold five things this week from that unit. And we we're making money from it all the time. Still, that's crazy. Yeah. I love That's that crazy. unit. <laughs> I want more so, of those. Yeah. 
So, what about, like, the worst? Have you ever just gotten everything, nothing even made it into your warehouse and everything just got thrown out? You know, Johan would probably be a better person to ask um, those stories because uh, he ends up doing most of that grunt work usually. But, oh, for sure. I mean, we've very rarely lost money on a unit. We're almost always able to at least recover what we spent in some of our time. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes you get into a unit that looks so good and then every box is dollar store junk and you're like, no. Or boxes of paper paper you know old banking records and things like that you can't do anything with that so then yeah, well, i'd imagine that's a huge a huge percentage because mm-hmm. you're, you're obligated by law to keep all that crap for five years right so people just stash it away yeah i mean most units we we don't keep three quarters of what's in there and it makes you wonder like why were you paying for that storage unit oh it's so funny i was, I was just <laughs> talking about this the other day i have a container on the island right like a 40 foot container that's a huge ass storage unit, right? Mm-hmm. I pay like three hundred fifty bucks a month on that thing. Yep. And uh, sure, there's stuff in there I need, and it would clean up a lot of space in here. But I'm just trying to liquidate it now because I'm like, by the time I've put all that money into rent, like two or three years of storage, everything in there has cost me so much money now. I'm just basically getting my money back out of it. There's no point, unless it's so valuable to you, like for sentimental purposes or something. We bought five units once from a guy who had been, I can't remember the exact number he was spending on those five units. I think it was about twelve or $1,400 a month he'd been paying for 14 years. And he hadn't been in them in a decade. Two of the units contained all these, there were thousands of vinyl records in there. We made a good profit off of flipping those to a records guy. But three of the units just had like old display cases from retail stores. I mean... You kind of feel bad, right? But it's, I mean... Yeah, he's probably, 15 years ago, had a plan to open more stores. And yeah. was like, gotta, like, keep this stuff around. Yeah. I mean, I will say one thing is that, like, when I stash a lot of the stuff in my container, it's probably five years ago, a lot of it I couldn't sell. And then I recently brought stuff out and started to sell, and people are freaking on it. So <laughs> it does, I mean, there's a value in having holding something long enough where it comes back into style. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's still got to be financially viable. Like, is it worth all that rent, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, we do that, right? We have some some items that were are worth a few hundred bucks now, and we're holding on to them to see if they're worth a few, few thousand bucks five or ten years from now. But there's small things like comic books, um, you know, a few things that you can just kind of tuck away in a box, and we're really careful about what we keep. I mean, yeah, holding on to something just because you might make another couple hundred dollars for it in ten years usually isn't worth it. Yeah, no, that's smart. <laughs> yeah. That's why, you know, in, it's, you're interesting to me, well, your business is interesting to me because of that reason, because you guys sell everything, and you kind of just take what you can find, mm-hmm. whereas, like, my business, we're strictly clothing. I've dabbled in other things, but, you know, most people listen to this podcast are going to be strictly in clothing, but I think it's interesting, and I think people, like, there's a lot of thrifters that will listen to this, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, what's valuable that they could find? in the thrifts to also make money on. It's kind of like maximizing your own scenario. If you're already at the thrift and you're just looking at t-shirts, it's a waste. Like go mm. look at the other things and educate yourself about what's valuable. Um, so many kids in this vintage business now are just dealing with t-shirts. Like that's all they know, that's all they want to know. I and mean, I think part of the reason is because it's cheap to ship. It's like doesn't take up any storage. They can like run this business out of their bedroom. And they're not getting into the situation of having to have space, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, like, what? Let's talk about eBay. So that is that okay. the bulk of your business? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we sell, yeah, probably at least 80% of our revenue comes from eBay. Nice. 
So, what tips you got for everybody else selling on eBay? I mean, where do I start? So, sorry, you, you guys <laughs> just won an award. We did. Let's talk about this. Yeah. What was the award? Uh, okay, eBay Canada 2019 Micro Multinational Entrepreneur of the Year, which basically means we export a lot of stuff. About 75% of our products leave Canada and go somewhere else. 75%? Yeah. Well, I guess everybody in Canada does. Yeah, I mean, the United States is a big market, but, um, you know, we we sell a lot overseas to Europe. How much would you say percentage-wise not in North America? Uh, of that, <laughs> roughly. I mean, 20% maybe. 20%, yeah, I mean, okay. we're shipping to lots of different countries. Yeah. Okay, this is interesting. So, okay, yeah. this is... Being in Canada sucks for the shipping rates. Do you right. agree? Yeah. We yeah. get taxed here. Canada Post is not cool. You guys are on Chit Chats. Anybody in Canada, there's there's company the company called Chit Chats and a couple others, right? Uh, yeah, DYK operates in a few areas and I think there's a couple more. So if you're selling online in Canada, look these companies up because they'll take your parcels over the border for you and you can get USPS rates. Yeah, and even if you don't live near Chit Chats, um, you can, what a lot of people do who live in more rural areas is they'll, they'll have a slightly longer handling time in their ads and they, they pack up all their parcels into a, a, one big parcel and ship that to Chit Chats. They have a special arrangement with Canpar to do that. Um, and so even if you're not near a branch, you can still take advantage of those rates and they find that even when you add in the slight additional cost of shipping that pallet or whatever it is to Chit Chats, it's still less than using Canada Post. Which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Canada Post is crazy. <laughs> and everybody listening in the States needs to understand that our shipping rates are high because we pay Canada Post so much money. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so how did you how did you position yourself to do that much business? Like so basically your volume is high enough that they gave you the award because you guys are doing so much biz and you're celebrating and everything else? Our growth um, our revenue growth on eBay was 50% um, over 2018 at the time that I applied for the award. I think oh, we're wow. up to like 70% now. I mean, we've been we've been really on an upwards trajectory and um, despite the fact that a lot of people are complaining right now that that they're not doing well on eBay and eBay's overall um, sales volume has been flat, um, but we're just killing it. And I think it has a lot to do with um, just learning, learning what products are going to sell fast, trying to source items that are um, of higher value, a little bit more collectible, um, and, and getting things listed as fast as we can makes a huge difference. Yeah. How many listings do you have live? About 3,300. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... Is that grown that number or? Yeah, a year and a half ago we were at about sixteen hundred, so I guess we've doubled that. Nice. And we're trying to get up to well, we'd like to get to ten thousand by next year. Hopefully, nice. we can get there. We need to get more inventory. So, um, oh, I just went blank here. The question was, what things are you sourcing? You saying you want to source things that sell really well and that are collectible? It's like give us like I, like your top ten categories or top ten items or things you always will buy that yeah. you know will sell fast. Uh, comic books are probably our biggest seller. Um, we know a lot about them. We're good at visually grading them. We know what titles are hot. So um, we'll go out and buy large collections of comic books just for a few keys that we know are going to be worth a lot of money, and then blow out the. the cheap ones locally so comic books are huge um, there, there's we were just talking yesterday there's a list of probably like 150 comic books that they will sell within a week every single time you get them um, so we look for those titles 150 titles not just a, not just numbers of titles yeah like, no like specific 
Oh, it's got to be like numbers. super. Oh, okay, that's yeah. like so, that's like 150 comics out of like 10 million possible comics to find. Totally. I mean, if, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so you really have to know what to look for. I mean, Incredible Hulk 340 is a perfect example. That book has such a cool cover, and that book will sell within seven days every single time we post it, even if it's like torn. What in year half. was that from? Oh gosh, late 80s, I think. Okay. That one. See, all my comic collection is from the shitty time during 90. 90 to 95 and nobody cares about any of that stuff no there's a few but yeah you're right like image comics yeah. superman like the doomsday series yeah so comic books are big for us um we do we do pretty well in vinyl records categories although we're not vinyl experts um they they sell easily and, and fast for us so we like to do vinyl um we've been dabbling a little bit more in clothing and bags lately just because we ended up buying a storage unit that had a lot of designer stuff in it so we just decided to get into that yeah. um and those are selling well for us because of the time of year jackets always do great as you know in the in the fall and winter so yeah i mean good i'll buy good outerwear all the time because it's People want it. It's expensive, so if you if you can get it at a good deal, why not? We accidentally got into diecast cars because we had a huge collection that we helped somebody unload last year. So we ended up with hundreds and hundreds of listings of Hot Wheels and other types of diecasts, and so we got to know what what's good in that category. And it's a little like comic books. There's certain cars from certain years with certain paint or certain tires on them. If you get those, um, they'll sell super fast. So um, yeah, that's a crazy haul. I've got a few for my son. Yeah. Out of your collection, that's pretty rad. Yeah, it was. Pretty... How many cars was that? This is all all um, Hot Wheels. Yeah. And how many? It was like. It was. We're estimating between eighty and a hundred thousand. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. So many. It was a lot. You know, but we we're good at figuring out how to move that stuff. And when I see people on eBay trying to trying to sell that something like a single Hot Wheel for you know two bucks to to five bucks, I. I can't imagine why they're bothering to put their time into creating a listing for one item like that. So what we do is we, we lot them up so it's 40 bucks or 50 bucks, but you're getting 8 or 10 or 12 cars. And we sell it like that because it makes a lot more sense for our business and it increases our average selling price, which is the like number one thing that you should be trying to do when you're selling on eBay. Increase your average selling price. Yes, the okay, most so, important thing. So how do you do that? Obviously one you just told us by bundling. Yeah, bundling is huge. Sourcing. Don't sell junk. Yeah, don't sell don't sell junk. I mean, or if you have a bunch of junk, just put it all together in a big lot and sell all the junk at once. Um, don't nickel and dime stuff. You know, look for look for items that you can sell for fifty bucks or more, and try to try to focus your sourcing around that. And then if you happen to pick up other lower value items while you're out at the thrifts or wherever you're at, that's totally fine. But, um, you know, focusing your energy on finding yeah. things that are three digits, five digits, four digits. And we all know listing best. stuff is not the funnest. So, so maxing out your money is important in your time. Oh yeah, yeah, you gotta get, you gotta get efficient at doing listings, create templates and, um, and get to do them fast. I mean, I, I'm at an advantage. We have people who help us with that, which is super helpful. But uh, I also type 92 words a minute, so I have like I can nice. put the listing together pretty quickly, which is a bit of an advantage. Yeah, you got to be able to to list quickly. Yeah, um, I've gotten it pretty down. I do some eBay listings just from my phone. Um, used to crush it out like on the computer, but now with the tech, do you guys use a third? You do. You, I asked you the other day. You list directly on eBay's platform, not a third party. That's right. Do you remember when they used to have, it was called like Lister Pro? Turbo Lister? Turbo Lister. Do you use mm -hmm. Turbo Lister? 
No, actually, they discontinued support for it just as we were starting to scale. So I just never bothered. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that used to be good. I don't find the, the third-party listing software to be any faster. Okay. No. Okay, so what other tips you got for eBay sellers? Like how about like organizing your listings or promoting or titling? I, yeah, I mean, we can talk a little bit about marketing. Um, there's been a lot of controversy lately about uh, using promoted listings, and a lot of people feel like it's eBay um, engaging in a money grab. Well, but they're making money. For sure. They're a business. That's <laughs> that's the whole idea. We sell 20 to 30% of our um, of our sales through promoting li promoted listings, and I think that they're an important tool to use, but you have to use them strategically and not randomly. And I think a lot of people get frustrated with the eBay promoted listings tool because they just pick some listings, randomly pick a percentage that they're willing to pay to have their listings um, featured, and then they walk away from it. And if it doesn't work, they don't know why. So what I recommend people do is, okay, take 50 listings that are all in the same category, promote them at, at pick a rate, 2%, whatever you're comfortable with. Let that go for seven to 21 days and watch what happens. And at the end of that time, change the rate, move it up, move it down, experiment, and then see how that changes um, the way that you're selling through those promoted listings and just keep track of it until you figure out a balance that works for your profit margins and for the categories that you're selling in. So don't do it randomly, like definitely use the tool, but pay attention to how you're using it. Don't just promote all your listings under the same campaign. Divide it up by category and promote each And you can category. name your campaigns? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have Hot Wheels campaign. We have okay. comic books campaign. We have vinyl records campaign. And so how do you do your shipping rates? Like what kind of, what what are you putting as a shipping rate for a comic book? Uh, five bucks usually to the United States. Okay. What about a record? Same? Yeah. The same. These, those can go by media mail, so they're pretty cheap to ship. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about uh, sending offers to watchers? You guys do that? Love it. Yeah? Yeah. Super <laughs> cool new feature. Yeah. So how long has that been around? Uh, only a few months. It was rolled out in the U.S. before here, as most features are. Um, they finally rolled it out on .ca as well as .com for Canadian sellers, and it, it works pretty well. I mean... Um, and it, how, like, do you do it individually and you'll see what your profit margin is, or will you just bulk do it on a percentage on a bunch of items? Right now, I'm doing it listing by listing. So what I do is I go... I sort my listings by the number of watchers, and then if an item's been up for maybe three, four weeks, and it's got a few watchers on it, I feel like that's a perfect time to send an offer. Usually, I give about a 20% discount. That seems to be the sweet spot. And I always end the the price in uh, 98 cents instead of 99 cents. So if they accept the offer, I know that it came through my uh, me using that tool, so I can oh, actually so you don't track have to it. Dig it. Yeah. Ah, oh, smart. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's it's cool. It works really. It works pretty well for us. We've made a lot of sales that way. Nice. Yeah, I started sending some offers out, and I, I again, I don't. I have to check if it's working. I gotta try your ninety-eight cent method. Yeah, <laughs> and you gotta personalize the message that you put in there. Yeah. Good Make call. it something like that makes you approachable. Don't just use the eBay default text. Yeah. You told me something interesting about the titling recently about the first only the first three keywords or, or something pop up or are the most searchable or something? Yeah, the first four words in the listing title are the ones that affect the search results the most. And so what eBay recommends is that you um, you first put the brand and then the name of the item, whatever it is, and then add other descript descriptors there. So it could be like 
Harley Davidson um, t-shirt, men's, black, size large, and then whatever other descriptors you want to add um, to yeah, the Yeah, so vintage should not be the first thing you write. Vintage should not be and the first thing vi- you write. VTG registers on yep. eBay as vintage, right? Yep. Ah, good things to know. Good things to know. Because probably 90% of people out there put vintage first thing as their, as their title. Yeah, and, and people say, well, uh, how can this be right? Because when I search for something vintage, I, I put vintage in as my first search term. And it's like, yes, you do. But that's not necessarily how the system is picking it up. So they still want you to be putting the brand first. Yeah. And, you know, put vintage in there somewhere near the end of the listing title. Better for search. Sweet. And fill in all those item specifics. Everything that you can in the listing. Cool. Um, we got to wrap it here pretty quick, but I have one more question. Okay. What is the most expensive thing you've ever sold on eBay? Okay, so that would be um, a. This was called a mob cam, and this is a big piece of equipment that people on film sets. It's like a vest that they wear, a heavy vest that holds up those huge portable film cameras. That has an. It's like a. It's like a self-leveling arm that comes off the vest. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. They and you got this in a locker? We got this in a locker. We paid up for it, but it was okay. Um, yeah, they retail about sixteen or 18000 I think we got five, five for, between five and 6000 for it. Sweet. Yeah, we were really happy with that. But, I mean, that that's the thing about selling on eBay that's that's hard. It's like you can't come across a $5,000 item every day. No. And even though we're pretty big sellers now on eBay, like we're, we're struggling to find those $1,000 and up items. Of course. I mean, you got to... Th- someone has to die or something has to happen <laughs> like I mean come on you know a lot of people a lot of the lockers you're getting people have died yeah yeah it's just the nature Sometimes. of the game <laughs> they went to jail <laughs> true and yeah because who's gonna just throw out five grand a big piece of equipment worth five grand especially in Vancouver that's like you know I'm sure that thing gets used all the time or they need it and we shipped that to California Nice. It was Hollywood. heavy. Yeah. So yeah, that, I think that was the the highest price we ever got. For and did it take a long time to move? Yeah, that sat for at least a few months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. I don't think I've ever. I don't know if I've ever sold anything for five grand on eBay. Definitely, probably the highest stuff I've ever sold on eBay would be jerseys, game oh, yeah. game worn, authentic, good player jerseys. Oh yeah. I definitely got quick. a few grand, like two, three grand for jerseys on eBay. I love jerseys because sports collectors are nuts, you know, they, they'll pay up and most jerseys will sell eventually, I find. Um, it's just one of those things, like I'm personally not into sports besides skateboarding and snowboarding and stuff, but the people who are are just diehard, you know? Yeah, I mean, they will pay, and but the thing is, is when you're sourcing that stuff, you have to be willing to pay for it too. And that's, I mean, we paid $2,000 for that unit with the film camera thing in it. We had other stuff, so we, we probably turned it into about eight or nine grand when all was said and done um but you know we had to pay to get there we just we just sold a camera for fourteen hundred dollars u.s but we had to pay four hundred fifty dollars to get it yeah um we sold another camera a couple years ago for forty three hundred dollars but we had to pay a thousand dollars for it so at some point if you want to scale up your business you can't be afraid to take those risks you have to throw down some money yeah and and it comes with education yeah like learn your shit yeah don't be don't don't go to dollar stores and buy out dollar store inventory don't go to the thrifts and go to the 50 cent bin like that's not where you're gonna find your treasures you you might but you gotta you gotta thrifts are getting so knowledgeable now and all the cool shit ends up under the counter or behind the desk and the ticket prices on things especially in vancouver are crazy we don't thrift at all yeah it's hard no um 
the most expensive thing I ever sold, I sold a shirt for 20 grand. Nice. But that was not on eBay. But I paid up. I paid 1500 bucks for it. See, there you go. Yeah. And I, and when I paid 1500 bucks. I was expecting it to be like in the three to five range. So I was happy for that. I'm like, even a double up is great. Mm-hmm. And then I had a bidding war go on. But uh, yeah, save that one for another episode. <laughs> Do you have any shout outs you want to thank anybody or? Thank anybody? <laughs> um, I mean, sure. I mean, I should shout out to Johan. He's not here right now, but he's the one doing all the hard work at the shop. Yeah, so, shout um, out Johan. Shout out Storage Warriors for getting you in the business. Yeah. I mean, storage. Yeah, Storage Warriors. And to our staff. I mean, Tori and Monique, um, like amazing people who support our business. I don't. We couldn't do what we do if we didn't have their commitment so i mean it's always worth mentioning them sweet and, their and once again uh well first of all subscribe to the podcast make sure you leave us a review go check out storagewarriors.ca storage warrior storage warrior ca there'll be links to the ebay on there right yep and have yourself a great day everybody